Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players, by trumpet players, and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell and Brian Appleby Weinberg. This is our landmark 10th episode of The Open Bell, and it's brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. Now you can simply go to worldtrumpetfederation.com for all your trumpet needs. No annual fees, firewalls, or other barriers between you and the most current, helpful trumpet information. Please visit worldtrumpetfederation.com to see what we're up to. And Picket Blackburn. The trumpet community is a close-knit network of people. And so when longtime trumpet maker Cliff Blackburn and his wonderful wife Bunny decided to retire, it was only right that they sold the business to longtime friend and mouthpiece maker Peter Pickett. Blackburn trumpets, made by hand for years in Tennessee, moved up to Lexington, Kentucky to become part of the Pickett family. Not only is this a heartwarming story of one craftsman passing on tradition to another, this merger guaranteed the excellent Blackburn name would live on under the care of Peter Pickett. So whether you're looking for a new custom Blackburn trumpet made just for you, or need to upgrade your piccolo trumpet with the world-renowned magic of the Blackburn lead pipe, you can rest assured that Peter Pickett and his team are ready to help. Go to pickettblackburn.com for more information. And now here's a little about the show. We essentially have three segments. Warming up, couple things, and no offense. We'll use these segments to cover information that Joey, Brian, and I think is important. Gentlemen, shall we? This is the segment we call Warming Up, and it gives us a chance to ease into the show by talking about some things that are on our radar. Brian, what type of magic cornet stuff do you have for us this week? <laughs> well, welcome, welcome to episode 10, where we talk first about cornet. So, oh. cornet players and uh we've been carrying your your sorry butts forever right Since he's the time really going to talk about you've been, you've been working on <laughs> working on our technique <laughs> since then did um, you just but did i wanted you to just talk take about... all technique as being yours y- yeah yeah is that that. what just happened and effectively we're not using the trumpet method us. from then yeah he pushed us <laughs> we're not right using now. the trumpet method from that time we're using the cornet method from that time still wow clark was a cornet player all yeah. right so anyway so but I think you guys can also take from us <laughs> this staggered idea right now. of vibrato. And uh, hey, all in. Are you saying you invented vibrato on cornet? No, you cornet not, players invented it? I'm just saying that it was first used on cornet, not trumpet. Mm. And so what I'm, what I'm curious about is as we've been in this quarantine thing, I've been listening to a lot more trumpet players playing stuff online. And I've noticed that even with american symphonic musicians i'm hearing vibrato on a level that i haven't just the presence of vibrato on a level that i haven't heard before um and of course i'm listening to these uh, hardenberger um renditions i don't even recognize i mean i studied every one of those things i don't even recognize them as the same piece (laughs) it's so amazing and he's using vibrato of course he's a soloist but i'm wondering whether vibrato is a thing that um, that American trumpet players are using more and more in orchestra um, or just in their solo and chamber music and etude practice. What do you guys think? Okay, well, when you say you've never heard on a level before, let's go back a couple of generations. You've heard, you've heard Doc Schetzer's Artunian. Sorry, right? American, American orchestral trumpet players. Are they using it a lot in the orchestra? Um, they used to give Frank Cataraptic a hard time for using it so much, and I think like his his performance of Shostakovich Five, the lyrical sol- solo in the last movement, is one of the most inspiring in- things I've ever heard on a recording. I mean, it's just so over the top right. and uh, fabulous, and it's a lot of vibrato. Right. So, so I, maybe I, it's, I, we've gone away from that. That's where I'm going with this. Is, that is it I, coming I think, back? Is it coming back is a better question than we've never heard it before. I yeah. think it was absolutely part of being a, a musician and trumpet player into the, into the for, uh, well into the first half of the 20th century. And maybe the second half of the 20th century, we came out of that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, so going back in, like we've heard this kind of vibrato before and way more. 
Way more, yeah. So uh, it's not that it's never happened. It's that we're noticing it again. But, uh, you know, I certainly agree with you uh, that, that it's more present and maybe because we're thinking we're doing a better job of thinking of ourselves as soloists and in a soloistic setting where it's appropriate putting that to use. So would you use it in, like, I was reading some articles today about it, and um, I was thinking, like, where do you use it? So, um, like, they would say, um, performance, uh, like Norrington would say uh, in historical performance practice that you wouldn't use it in Brahms, but that you could use it later. Um, so you could use it in, um, uh, say, if you're doing something like Shostakovich, it's totally acceptable, but you can't use it in in Brahms or Beethoven. Um, what are your thoughts about about that? And then where do we, and then my bigger question is for trumpet players um, is where do you go to learn how to use it? Um, I used to say there are, there are six parameters, but it's really just you use it or you don't use it. And then in the context of using it, you can use it fast, whatever, however speed variations you want to mm -hmm. use. And then how wide the vibrato is. Those are really your your parameters. But where do you go to be informed? Um, I would say that you don't go to other trumpet players to be informed about how to use vibrato, that maybe your basis for you should be um, great singers, great string players, um, that maybe that's the place to start learning about what you should do. Yeah. Or obviously cornet players. I, well, <laughs> of course, what else, where else would we turn? I have a couple different thoughts on this. Well, first of all, the, the main thing is vibrato is something that you do to the existing sound. So usually, I mean, sometimes when it makes its way into the sound and it's there all the time, I think that can potentially be a negative. And when you first started talking about this, I thought you were talking about just everyone, just everyone who's posting videos, you're noticing that people are playing with a lot of vibrato. But you're ta are you talking about specifically about orchestra professionals? I'm just people I haven't heard play with that kind of musical sensitivity maybe or that they've brought it into their playing I don't know consciously unconsciously but I'm hearing more attention to vibrato and musical line than mm. maybe I've heard before I mean I think it al always has to be I mean, there's different types of vibrato for different we're talking about it on a musical plane different types of vibrato for different styles I mean physically how you generate the vibrato changed I grew up in a time where it was you were taught hand vibrato Yep. Right. I'm just going to beat you to it. And then, and then, and Back then of when course, life was in black and white. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Life was in black and white. <laughs> and, and so that, but then eventually I figured out how to change that. Um, and just make it more naturally recurring thing, whether you want to say it's lip or jaw or whatever, it becomes kind of a subliminal thing, but. And we would um, agree that we shouldn't use diaphragmatic or intercostal that's muscle. Not a, that's not a, no, that's not a thing. Okay. Un unfortunately, there are people that do think it's a thing. Yeah, but no. But if you want to sit there and go, a, ha, 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 Yeah, no. We, so we, in, I think we can agree that that's a bad way to play That's trumpet. a bad way to do it, involuntary muscle. What okay. I'm curious about, though, is this. I think I catch people using vibrato, and I may be guilty of this myself, just, you know, as an example. Um, if you know you're kind of left to your own devices for a while and you're not having to fit in with other folks playing in a section and all that and maybe you're not quite getting the sound that you want to get so you start to add that vibrato to start to you know to kind of trick yourself into thinking that you're really resonating <laughs> right you start okay. to do this stuff to the sound and so that's what it becomes the vibrato becomes more active as a way for you to kind of cover and in your mind enrich what's going on with the sound but ultimately you shouldn't rely on it for that and Joey, you don't use a lot, right? Uh, I he try. doesn't know how. We've tried to teach him. <laughs> I, I try and use it when when appropriate, obviously. But uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this as, as a lead player. You know, somebody who plays in the big band is like, where would that be appropriate? And there are times when you think about what lead players do over the top of a band. There are times for a nice vibrato to go there, and then there are times where it absolutely should not. But generally speaking, in commercial music the default setting should be off, not on. Yeah. Where as a classical soloist, the default Amen. setting, and this is maybe an overstatement, but the default setting be on rather than off, and you work from those places. Yeah. So like one of the things you just said about listening to singers can be a real danger for trumpet players, because if we're listening to opera singers, mm. oftentimes that's a slow and a wide vibrato that would be wildly inappropriate at any time for trumpet yeah. players. So we're like, well, we want to sound just like the singers. 
Well, not necessarily, because you might end up sounding like a caricature of one if you yeah. take that too literally. And in Mozart's time, it was frowned upon. Right. So if you're singing that music, maybe you shouldn't. Or a group like Anonymous Four, who does all that rena Renaissance music, that quartet. Mm -hmm. I mean, those ladies are, it's amazing, and a pure tone. And, and that straight, was, yeah. yeah. You know that's Anonymous IV, right? Did you... Just to Actually, clear, I, mean, I thought that was listeners. anonymous IV. I thought that yeah. was a it was a medical just, group. Just for the listeners, so they you know because we need to be historically accurate on this show. Um, and uh, for our band director friends who are sorry friend who's out there listening, you know the vibrato in the section for trumpet players no good, right? Like if they're sitting in that section, that creates all sorts of turbulence in the sound and the pitch. So in that section playing, make sure that that's not happening. Yeah, right. that's the question. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and that's that's why I think Brian, he says he's noticing it more now when you're seeing individuals put stuff right. up online. Because, yeah. right, if you're playing in a large section and you're all trying to vibrate and trying to make that match, it's just no, not going to work. And you're just no. going to sound, the section's just going to sound bad and wrong. And that's just no right. way to go. Yeah, so yeah. in my little orchestra, when we're playing, if I'm playing a solo and it's a style that warrants vibrato, I will add it. Um, and different and shade it differently. Um, right. But if I'm playing section stuff, I will play straight tone. Um, and I've had a friend who once won several several trumpet jobs in orchestras, good orchestras, um, and he had vibrato all all the time. He just had a massive vibrato all the time. Mm. Um, he still won, but I don't know whether it was a problem for the. Do you change your position? vibrato speed, Brian, depending on how loud your valves are on a given day? <laughs> In time with the valve. So if they're moving oh, fast, it's a yes. faster vibrato. Yes. Amazing. Oh, goodness. All, all right. So, Brian, you're somebody who plays a cornet and trumpet. We do recognize that you do play trumpet. Sometimes. So uh, do you notice a difference in the use of vibrato from cornet to trumpet? Is it different? For me personally or just sure. overall? Or yeah, for me personally, yeah, I use it much less when I'm playing trumpet. Um, much less when I'm playing trumpet. And then um, it's interesting in, in the UK, I studied with a, a guy when I was there um, who's sort of known for his ubiquitous vibrato. Um, and um, he is not now seen as the model for vibrato. And I think that in the UK, they're trying to, um, certainly at the higher levels, play both with and without. Um, and even without strict instructions from the composer who will now write non vib um, brass band right, literature which right. is interesting because it was uh, it, the default was on um, and very fast um, and bright vibrato and I think that's changing and so being able to do that is is a really important um, very important that's one you know I've taught a lot of students that are have grown up classically based it like I want to learn how to play jazz I'm like great well play me this melody you know like I'll give them a recording of a melody of a standard and uh, and then I say bring that in next week and they come in and they play and I said here's the first thing you need to do vibrato off because it just makes yeah. you sound like you're not swinging even if the notes are in the right <laughs> places right <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a sound concept yeah it's like that's just not happening so right you need to be in control of it it's definitely something you need to it, it has to be at the player's discretion and you need to be able to turn it on and turn it off where it's appropriate yeah yeah I've, I've seen a lot of students i mean ready to start the college career that haven't done it you know they just have no idea yeah even where to start with it you yeah. know um but yeah it can it can be a troublemaker i mean not like tonguing but <laughs> it, it can cause problems no offense to you no, right? no offense to myself i think i offended myself uh, Joey, what do you got for us today? All right, I know I've come in here normally ask some questions, but I got something different today. As wow. one of the hard parts of being locked up like this is that I, one of the things I do really poorly, is horn maintenance. I am terrible about keeping my horn clean, and as a, if when things go wrong, I want people to be thinking. Anybody that's listening, what if you're a serious trumpet player? If you're a serious musician, you need a good repairman. You need a good repair person, yes. and you need them to know you, and you need a good relationship there. So I've got a couple, you know, uh, right here in Indiana. There's a guy named Brent Laidler up in Lafayette who does amazing work. He's great. I met him when I was living in West Lafayette, and he was working in a local music store. And the people around, I, 
my, my daughter at, uh, pulled herself up on a table and pulled my sea trumpet down when she was mm. 18 <laughs> months old. So kind of crinkled the bell. I'm like, oh, and this was right after I'd moved from Chicago. So Wayne Tanabe had just been hired by Yamaha and closed the brass bow in Chicago, which yep. is where everybody went. Yeah, I'm like, well, right. what am I going to do now? And the, 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 the people in Lafayette like, the guy's really good at the music store. I'm like, oh, sure, mm. okay. So I go in and introduce myself. He goes, oh, yeah, come on back. And I hand him my horn. And we go walk around and tell him what's going on. He's just talking. How are things going? We're chatting. We're chatting. We're chatting. And 10 minutes later, he just hands me back my horn. And you know how normally when you fix a bell like that, you can always see a little line or something? Nothing. Nothing. I said, holy crap, this is amazing. So even when I moved down here, uh, moved down to Bloomington from there, I've, I've maintained a really good relationship. But missing both NTC and ITG this year, Chris Cromer, who's out in Delaware, the A minor tune-up, mm -hmm. D minor tune-up. This yeah, is great. Chris is great. I show up, and he, and, he, and he knows I'm dropping off horns to get clean. He's going to be a sponsor at some point. So, yes, he is. And, and he, also does, he, also does, uh, he also does great work. You know? So I want you guys thinking, you know, because my horns, I'm going to end up having to clean my own horns eventually. And that's just, I mean, that's just not right. It's unacceptable uh, for you. But also I mean, for someone repair. of your stature. <laughs> someone of my laziness. Yes. But, uh, but, but having uh, someone around where you know you can get do you that not stuff clean your fixed. Own, you just don't clean your own horns. I do, but not no. all. If, if no, I, he if, doesn't. If I'm he close doesn't. to an ITG or a festival, then I just pack them up and hand them off yeah. to Chris. He's always at those things. I walk this up and he goes, how bad is it? I said, I'm not sure the valves even work. You know. Yeah. So this once came up a this week the last time I've seen you, it's bad. This, yeah, this, this is, one, he, once he my B flat, it. I showed up, and uh, I don't remember who was running his tank that time, but I, he says, oh, yeah, come back in about an hour. So I came back in an hour, and there was a woman running the tank who looked up at me and said, what is wrong with you? And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he says, normally we run about, you know, run about 10 horns, and then we drain the tank, and we go through and do this again. I ran yours, drained the tank, ran it through again, and then had to drain it again. <laughs> I'm like, Sorry. <laughs> Because how do you play that? I don't know play something. But yeah, I've, wow. I've always been kind of bad about that. But uh, but the repair part is important, you know, because it's not so easy. Uh, but you need to have a good repair person, and and and, and that's an Im important important person in your life as a musician. Man, I I had a like a similar experience. I had a this was years ago. Had a prototype horn and had a brace come off of it. I thought I got to get this fixed. It's not even mine. Just trying it out. And so I go to everyone's like, go to this shop, go to this shop, which I did. And I should have known when I handed this beautiful, I can't believe this. It was a cornet. I handed. <laughs> Why would you admit that? I, I don't know. It's part of the story. And you said it was beautiful because it was a cornet. It was. And I, so I, and I should have known the way the repairman took it out of my hand that he didn't, that I should have just asked for it right back. You know what I mean? You can <laughs> tell. And so it was a, a brace that had come off. He comes back out, hands it to me, and says, "Yeah, your valves won't move up and down. I'm going to have to lap these." Oh. And I'm like, "It's a brand new. You know what's the? Just give it to me." So I took it, and I'm like on my way back, and I'm calling some other people because I'm new to the area, and I end up with Jim Houndstein at you're going to love this, the Horn Hospital. Nice. Now Jim is my guy, and so I know because I take it out of the case and I hand it to him, and he goes, "Oh, this is beautiful. Look at this," and he starts recognizing what he's got and instead of lapping he kind of pushes and tweaks and heats and valves start dropping in and he fixes the brace and i never look back like yep. for repairs and cleaning and everything and he's you know you find a craftsman like that which is important for everybody to do that you trust and then that's it stay right. there yeah that's where i am with brent if i need something it's just i got to drive to lafayette this is a great great topic yeah where do you go brian so um well a really horrible story. So I have a, I have a local shop, Cole's Music, a great shop. Um, I literally sat on my bell once, a rehearsal with Delaware, Delaware Symphony. I sat on my bell during the dress rehearsal. That'll slow um, down your vibrato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Play the show on the other horn, uh, the whole transpose everything the next day. Um, and a guy named Ed Coles, he was the one who did all, the, did all my work. Um, and I don't know how many years ago, maybe three years ago now, he was murdered. Oh, um, man. Yeah. I was on my way to a camping trip. I got a phone call from Danny de Blasio, my colleague at Rowan. And yeah, just horrific. Um, and uh, him and his wife. It's terrible, terrible story. Um, yeah. And so uh, so I was driving to um, Josh Landris in New York to get work done. Yeah. Um, it's a couple hours plus the train. And um, yeah, it was a, a big deal. Or going down to um, having Chris do work. Um, turns out that they've recently hired a guy. Um, uh, named Jeff over at Cole's Music. Um, last summer, I had my horns in for cleaning. Took my um, 
my shirts are a rotary piccolo in for cleaning. Got a phone call from one of my students, said Jeff's doing the cleaning and he thinks he wants to do a valve alignment on your road, shirts or rotary pick. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and he says, he says, I, I think it's going to be okay. Jeff's a good guy. Jeff's like, as far as I can tell, like 23 years old, <laughs> like he's mm-hmm. a kid. Right, so you don't um, know him yet nice. at all. I don't know him at all. And Andrew says, I, I think it's going to be okay. So, um, so Jeff does the work. Piccolo comes back. It plays like a dream. It's amazing. Gave him my cornet. Big deal. Give somebody yeah. my cornet. Well, yeah. Um, he did a valve alignment on that. It's beautiful. So he's done really small, detailed, meticulous work that's come out great. He's about 15 minutes from the house. He's oh, a total awesome. pro. I know people in Philly are coming out to the shop now. Um, and he's doing great work, and uh, he seems to really love it. And uh, he's a great guy. It's also not expensive. <laughs> yeah, well, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Gotta, you've got to have that person. Yeah, so, man. Yeah. Josh is also amazing in New York, but Josh is great. Yeah. 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 Important topic. This is great. I mean, you think about this: how many craftsmen we turn to in our business to save us, right? Right. I mean, we need somebody to make a good horn. Someone to make horns. Someone need, to make mouthpieces. Mouthpieces. All mutes. That. And in fact, this is a beautiful transition because I should have run this by you guys ahead of time. I have something new to drop on you. It's we're gonna. It's a little game show. Uh oh. We're gonna do what a little you, game what today. What do we got? And the game is backboard bingo. And now, <laughs> this is a, come on, man. It's a trumpet podcast. So. I've got, I turned to my good friend. Joey's right out. He doesn't know anything about mouthpieces. Right, exactly. (laughs) Well, this is going to start our conversation about mouthpieces, and I think it's going to go really well. So I turned to our good friend. Well, Brian and I have worked extensively with Peter Pickett. Oh, holy crap. And, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, yeah. And so I turned to him. I said, I want to play this new game, Backboard Bingo. We're going to introduce it on the podcast. And I, I need some questions. So Peter and I worked on this. And here you go. You guys are going to play. You're the contestants. I'll assign the points. Question number one. The Picket C4 commercial backboard got its name from A, C4 explosive, because it's got an explosive sound. B, it's centered on the note C4. C, a combination of the C reamer and four shank used in early prototypes or D it was originally designed to be used on the C trumpet a named after an explosive B centered on C4 C a combination of the tooling used or D designed for C trumpet Uh, I'm going with a a the explosive sound I'm going with a (laughs) (laughs) it's C it's C, Brian. Right. Oh, and you, with your points. extensive d- mouthpiece development background, it makes sense that you would get this right. <laughs> ten points for Brian. Zero points for Joey. And I'm going to take ten for myself. Yeah. All <laughs> right. Next. Because it was a great question. It's a great question. True or false? The Picket V backboard. Now, that's the way I'm saying it. We've already had a run in with Roman, Roman numerals. It's the five backboard. Today. The V. The V. The Picket 5 or V, whatever you want, backboard, was created for Vince DiMartino and helped propel his career into the record books. True false. or false? False. False. His career True. was already in the record books. Well. <laughs> the, no. But sorry. The ba- career before he ever played Picket Mouthpieces, Vince was in the record books. What That's does the judge false. say? <laughs> I'm the judge. I get 10 points. But that question is not he's true. He's killing us. You take he's it not up even with, playing, and he's take killing it up us. with Peter Pickett. He's Peter's taking credit for Vince's career. Of course he is. He had help writing the questions. Wouldn't it, of course, <laughs> he's an so, opportunist. So before before Vince played Pickett, nobody had ever heard of him. Or never thought heard he was of him. Good. <laughs> never <laughs> heard of him. As far as Peter's concerned, never heard of him. <laughs> no one's no one heard of Doc Severinsen either, until he started playing Pickett mouthpieces. Okay, all right. I'm arguing was, with that question. Pickett that may question not have been is, born. When Doc was on the Tonight Show. Right, okay. Your contention is noted, and so is Brian's 10 points and my 15. Next. True or false? You're going to kill Joey. (laughs) Joey, you're losing bad. losing hard. I haven't got negative points yet. (laughs) Your mother is going to write a great review of this episode. (laughs) 
True or false? All picket back bores are actually the same and just have different names. <laughs> false. <laughs> Brian? False. False. That is false. All right, I got one. That is false. You guys <laughs> both got it right. Joey, you get five points. Brian, ten. What? <laughs> Hold on a second. All right. I have some issuing with the, the uh, point. This scoring. game is rigged. This game might be rigged. True or false? The British cornet backboard was created for the sole purpose of saving Brian Appleby Weinberg's career. That is true. That That's is definitely true. true. That is definitely true. Now, who who helped who designed that? Brian Appleby Weinberg and others. It says on the website I have right in front <laughs> yeah. of me. Vince Martino, who was made famous by Pickett. Brian Appleby Weinberg Vince and wouldn't others. be. And, Vince and, wouldn't. And Brian, how did how did you go about designing this? I, I called Peter. The, it's the same no, way. No, you didn't. Called you, no, Peter. That's not the, what happened. I visited Peter's I, shop. It's the same way that my mouthpiece got designed by that Joey is, putting his hand in my face and saying, "Stop talking, stop Peter." Talking. I'm going to tell you what he wants. This is what he wants. All right, that's exactly keep, how it went down. We've got to keep moving. We've got points to earn here. True Wait. or false? There's a picket backboard for almost everyone that helps him that helps improve the balance between your mouthpiece and instrument. There's True. a picket backboard for almost everyone that will True. help you do that. Sure. Of course. Brian? Yeah, true. Yeah. That's you true. You said when you told us earlier Peter helped write the questions, he's not going to say there's not one. Right. Oh, so now you're inside the test. I see the way it goes. This is Next how I time, take tests. I'm not going to tell you. I know. <laughs> it's why he's Brian answered C. That's <laughs> why Brian True he had false. no idea. C. Brian answers C to the one multiple choice. Yeah. Okay. Wait, True or false? Points for, hold on. What were the points for oh, that one? The points? I should have some points. Uh, Joey gets 10 points. Now we're getting some Brian points. gets right. 10 points. All right. And I Catching get up. 10 points. Um, and here up. we go. The, the last question. True or false? Pickett is announcing new backboard models later this year. Oh, of course that's true. Uh, I, have a, yeah. I have one Always. more question. <laughs> true. Yeah. Not gonna... I'm asking the questions right now. Okay. Well, let me know <laughs> no, when go, you're done. Go, go that's not how this game works. How I'm is done. This, if this is true or false, how is this bingo? Bingo is a card where you get numbers and letters Look, and you try and get would, five in a row. It was like a last minute thing, and I didn't know how to do bingo on a podcast. Well, let's but rename call, it. Then why did you call it bingo? I ran out of time. Okay. Because it's not, this what? isn't bingo. I know. It was a. Most people would just go, "Oh, that's a cute name. I get it. We're playing a game." With, how about this? Since it was okay. based around Peter yeah. Pickett, you could have done pick a trivia. Because pick a trivia team would right be through. great. See that there? would be. Let's do that. Or do trumpet I get bonus trivia. Points for that? No, trumpet trivia. Pick a Blackburn trivia. Yeah, for this. But well, he trivia. I'm trying to tease. I know together. because you kind of tease together. Yeah, it works really well on you know, the podcast. Okay. I like it. What what do we like the game idea is the is the question. Uh, I, I like, like the game idea. I'm a guys... little I'm a little mad about how the points are assigned. <laughs> <laughs> I like the best part for me is how the points are assigned. I know. I knew Brian would like that. <laughs> wow. Outstanding. All right. Hey, well listen, let's move on to the today's main topic. It's time for a couple things. As the two of you know, my son Carter is a pilot. He lives in Texas now. He, he's kind of a big deal. Anyway, uh, when he was studying to get his private pilot license, I would always ask him on a, you know, on a given day, did you fly today and what, what was your lesson about? What did you do? And I rem will never forget this day he comes home and I said, what you work on today? And he said, we worked on stalls, <laughs> the plane stalling out. And a, as a parent, uh, this is unsettling, of course, but my thing about him doing the flying lessons is that I was intrigued by the pedagogy of this, right? Like, how do you teach someone to do this thing? So you I said... You fly up there and then turn the plane it, off. Essentially, and this is what happened. I said, so how did, how did his instructor, Barbara, how did Barbara teach you how to do stalls? He said, well, we got up to altitude, and she just reached over and throttled back and said, whoa, Carter, it looks like you're having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, they had covered the procedure in the simulator, and he knew what to do, and then they practiced stalling and climbing and stalling and spinning and all those other things that they have to do. So, obviously, without nearly the same amount of consequences as the pilot, we have bad days on the trumpet. Yes. And knowing exactly what to do, 
how to deal with that is really important. We've all been there. We've had to do it. Let's talk about having a bad day. Oh, absolutely. Bad days. This is a huge topic. This is why we practice, right? Mm. The reason we practice and practice, if you're practicing smart, you know, if you're doing this in an intelligent way, the only real reason is to get better, right? But then there's also this part. If you consider where your best day is ever, like if your best day on a scale of 1 to 100, if you could imagine it being a 98, you know, and you're thinking, wow, when everything's clicking, I'm really, gosh, it's just that good. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Where is your worst day? I'm a pessimist by nature, as you two well know. <laughs> so I am always planning for what's the worst possible thing that could happen because I need to be ready for that. So I think about that with my trumpet playing. So if my worst possible day on a scale of 1 to 100 is 60, then I can't take gigs. Because <laughs> if I go out, if I'm going out and it's a bad day, then I'm unacceptable. Mm -hmm. I'm not at a professional level, and that's so, not okay. Right. So, so what, the practice part, I'm sorry. So the no, go ahead, go ahead. Part, the practice part is really, yeah, you want to push that best day you want to keep growing so that that best possible day, you want to get to that unreachable goal of 100 of just whatever the you know mythical land of everything being great and working all of the time is. But the, the secondary part is this. I want my bad day to be 98. Mm. You know, if I could get my best day to 100, I want my worst day to be 98 so that nobody knows when I'm having a bad day. Because when you think about playing shows, and I've had discussions about this with friends, you know, if you're playing a show, there was a show I was playing in Chicago years ago that was six shows a, uh, six shows a week for a, almost a year, you know, uh, and we play and play and play and play. And I was having a discussion with my friends, and we were talking about lead players and consistency for this exact concept, right. the idea of you want to play that show in a way so that you know, because I have a, a very good friend who's a great lead player, but when he's feeling a little extra, he'll go for it. And mm -hmm. then if things aren't quite working, so you kind of notice, you see that variability. And I'm like, I don't want people to know if I'm struggling. I want people to think, yeah, he sounds great. And then I go home and go, holy crap, I feel like that I nothing got away works. with one. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. So that's the whole reason for practice, right? right. to build that consistency, to raise, there that, it is. raise that bottom bar, not the top. I mean, the top bar, sure, but the bottom bar is the one you really has the larger degree of variability. Well, let me dig on this for a second. I mean, what constitutes a bad day? We've all said it, right? Like everybody's like, oh, you know, it just, it's not working today. It's, what, what are those things for you guys that constitute a bad day? Brian, what do you so got? So just my bad days are just when I, I'm struggling in the upper register. I feel like I don't have bad days where I don't sound like me. Um, I, I can always sound like me. Um, and I can always get around the instrument. Mm -hmm. um, and I can usually um, deal with the, the dynamic contrast that I need to, need to come up with. Um, it's, it's in the upper register. I'll get just sometimes things won't work. And it's usually, for me, it's usually a fatigue thing. Um, so if I haven't, um, if I've let things slip a bit, I've only been doing an hour or two a day mm. for a couple of weeks, uh, and then I go into a situation where I have to play, I can, I can get caught. Um, mm. And so, yeah, for me, it's just the, it's in the upper register, just making sure that that, that responds. So that, right. that's, a, that's a bad day. And it's usually, for me, it feels like fatigue. Yeah. Although I've st stood next to Brian and you're sounding great in, in rehearsal and I'll turn and look at you and you'll look at me with this look of horror on your face and I'll say, what's wrong? And you go, I am on my teeth. He <laughs> said the, that to me, but no one knows. No one knows. This is, no one yeah, knows. Brian has done yeah. that to me on stage. Yes. Like we have been doing a trouble with yeah. thing and he'll turn mm -hmm. and go, yeah, I've got nothing. And then still play. And I'm thinking, I don't know, that sounds, that sounds really, really, really good. So it's working. But yeah, what constitutes a bad day is definitely what we want it to be, and I think Brian does a good job of this, is when you, where it doesn't feel right or it feels like it's harder work there to get is. to that same result. Right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons we've talked about before, or and we've talked about the thing, right? How I start every day and how we start every day. Yes. We do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. One of the things that does for me 
is it sort of brings everything back, you know, get everything back to zero, whether it's things, you know, that whatever day articulations aren't working or, you know, um, or flexibility's not working or low range or high range. It kind of hits everything to kind of get you back and show you what that feels like in the morning and get you to a place of level mm -hmm. so that any performing you have to do, no one else will notice that you're aware of it, working harder for it, and covering it up so that you can still do your job. Now, yeah. sometimes there are days that are just past that too. You know, this is the part mm -hmm. that's where we talked a little bit before about live performance. Every live performer has the possibility of sounding bad. Everyone, everybody can yeah, sound right. bad. And I've said this to students here where, you know, oftentimes um, at universities, uh, attendance is not always great for recitals and concerts. And it always sort of surprises me when, I, when a faculty member is playing and all of the students aren't there for this concept alone. What if that faculty member is having a terrible day? Wouldn't you love to see that? You know, like as a student, <laughs> wow. look, my teacher's screwing up, and I was there, and it was awesome. You know, like it, just that alone would bring me out. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, but the thing, this is one of the things that makes great players great players is that, and I've said this uh, to students an awful lot, they're doing things that they may not like, or they may not be as comfortable as they look on stage. You just don't know it. Right. It's, yeah, it, for me, it's the, you know, you have this vision in your head of what, what it is you want to do and you practice it and you know, and you, and it's just not responding. Right. And I, I'll never forget, it was so many lessons I had with Keith Johnson where these, he would drop these pearls of wisdom. But in the one day I said, he had me try something and I played it and it worked and I, he said, now, doesn't that sound better? And I said, absolutely. And it feels better too. And he said, what, what did you say? And I'm like, oh no, I've I've done it again. You and I stepped said, in it. I did, and I said, stepped I right in it. Said it feeling better, you know. He goes, I don't, I don't care how it feels, and neither should you. It feels different every day. You should really worry about the way it sounds, and that, and that, and of course, that's his point about the same thing about being consistent and trusting, building an ease of playing that that can be trusted, so that you can count on that. You know, even when, because here's the scary part, right? The downward spiral, right? This is my, right? And, and you talk about faculty recitals. I have a NASCAR theory of brass recitals, I call it. Right? NASCAR. Yeah, people go to brass recitals for the same reason they go to NASCAR races. <laughs> there might be a crash. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> right? That's my theory. So no, at any rate. No, okay, hold on. No, go ahead. We, we have all been to, to ITGs and NTCs and other trumpet festivals. Yeah, yeah. And we have gone and gone we got to go see this guilty this could i have been guilty of that <laughs> guilty. this could be something that we well, need to be in the room for look one of the best ways to make yourself feel better is to put others down <laughs> I, think, I think i think we covered that we a week ago didn't we <laughs> wasn't good. that our last episode maybe yeah, yeah. yeah um but yeah to some of it is like you you want to have a plan at least to prevent that you've got to be able to pull up out of that stall right out of that spin you've got to know what to do and you and so keith's thing was always there the, the world of music is made up of constants and variables and joe you said that essentially the same thing a minute ago with you know when all these things start to go crazy maybe it's hot on stage maybe you're tired maybe you didn't sleep well whatever maybe it's not responding the way you want but there's got to be a way to come back to those things that you make constant to deal with all the variables that could happen on a given day it's the best way to avoid a bad day, right? Because this is the, this is what you're saying. The practicing puts you in a position to literally avoid a bad day. And the second right. part is, but if you're in it, what do you do? And they're, you right, do? they're still going to happen. The idea that you're not going to have bad days is just false. You know, the idea of, well, if I practice, then I'll keep getting better, and then every day is going to be awesome. And that's just, we are human. So there are going right. to be days, you know, there are days where I come in here and the first note comes like, oh, today's low G. Yeah. Low G. <laughs> that's, that's low G every day. This right. is middle G. And then <laughs> the default tape. next move, hammer down. Let's go. Well, of course, obviously you just press a lot harder and everything right. gets better. Right. That's the solution to all trumpet problems. Press harder. Yeah. Yep. The Armstrong method. Exactly. Yeah. But, right, uh, the, but recognizing that there are going to be bad days is important so that when they happen, you know, I, I talk about this in live performance. You know, there are mm -hmm. lots of times students go into live performances thinking, okay, I practiced and this is going to be perfect. And then the first mistake causes you to go, oh, crap, 
and then it just keeps and then it rolls right and then you're then you're spinning out the same thing with a bad day knowing that some days are just not going to be as good as other days is right. just being human and that's fine and you, we have to accept that so that we, because the other part is these are days where you can get a lot done i have found in my my own practice that those days where things are just not responding and not working or just whatever we want to however we want to quantify bad day it's more important to practice on those days assuming mm -hmm. no injury or anything else just normal bad day is yeah. like stay in that practice room work your way through that's where you get some real progress what i think too about students who are our students who are giving recitals right sophomore junior senior recitals whatever it happens to be and you know i encourage preview recitals the first time you play that program shouldn't be on your senior recital right, right. Yeah. and that that more for me isn't really about the rep as much as it's about go out and fail go out and have an encounter with you know with missing or a bad day or knowing what it's like to have to play you know gregson after you played a big piece whatever it happens to be you know uh you know uh th those are the things because it, you have to you have to put those things in a row several times not you, just so you know how to maneuver it how to get through it and there's an emotional stability to knowing that when you stand in front of people you're going to chip something or you, something's going to go the way not the way mm -hmm. you planned it and being stable enough to know that that's not you as a human being, you know, that doesn't right. make you a bad person or a bad musician or a bad trumpet player. Um, and then to soldier on to get back into the music and the ma connecting with the audience and making a musical statement. Um, but that requires a certain amount of emotional stability and strength um, that I think we build up over time and, you know, confidence. Um, and then you know some people play they just don't seem to care and I think when I was in England that was one of the biggest biggest things that I I learned from all these people they're they're trying as hard as they can and they're working as hard as they can to play great if they miss something they just forget it it's done mm. they don't dwell on it um, and I know that uh, personally I can dwell on things for a long time <laughs> when I when I fold on something and it's uh, and you know it keeps coming back the more you practice and and uh, that can be a very bad emotional place to live. It makes practicing and performing less fun, less interesting, less enjoyable. And since we have to do it all the time, we want to make it as enjoyable as, as possible, even in the face of maybe things don't not working like you would want them to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I learned this really well after my sophomore year of college. I, went to, I was in the Disney All-American College Orchestra, right? Red, white, and blue tuxedos at Epcot Center. We looked good. So... We played three shows a night, five days a week, six, seven, thirty, wow. and nine. So it was the first time I'd ever had that that much performing all packed in all at the same time. So there's this one dance number in the middle of the show where there were dancers. So we did like an, an opener, a dancing in the middle, and a closer. It was the same on every show, those three things. Yeah. And there was this one thing in the middle, and I remember it had a high E, like went up to like a high E for like four bars, and maybe the second or third show. Like I got up there and just went, and it just fell off of it. And man, I was on the 7:30 show, and I was just like living in that moment. Like I can't believe that, man. I'm kind of all fun. <laughs> so play the rest of the show and get off the show. I'm like, no, pop, 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 pop. And then 45 minutes later, we're back, back on stage. We're going to do it again. Right. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make mistakes. That's right. I'm going to play 15 shows every single week. Mm. I, I got to get over that. And that yeah. really helped not focusing on that and you're not going to have five good days in a row every single week some of those days are going to feel like a lot more work and they're not going to be as they're not going to feel like the same thing but you have to be able to put out the same product so right. then the next summer i end up going on the road with the glenn miller band where some days you know that band you know that band's still on the road but that band <laughs> you know you hop on a bus and you know you, you might drive overnight into the into the next place and going in and you don't really get time on the face you know the horn on, horn in the FaceTime during the day and you pull in and you're going to do a four hour dance and then the next night you're doing a two hour concert and then you know you might be doing another hit and run into that and the, the, the variability of that schedule is all over the place so it's really hard to build the kind of consistency you would normally want but you're playing four and five nights in a row right so guess what some of those days are not going to be good days and you still need to find that way to make that great music going on even when it doesn't feel good and boy, that was illuminating. You know, I come back to college, and then 
oh wait, we're rehearsing. We've been rehearsing for two weeks. When's the concert? Don't we get to go play a show? <laughs> right. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's yeah. go. I want to go perform. But that really helps with that concept because if you're performing every night, you know, if you think about, you know, professional orchestras are a great model for this in the United States, right? These people are playing usually Friday, Saturday, and Sunday every week. Well, there's no way they're feeling at 100% every time they're stepping on stage every weekend. Right. That's not possible. So you are seeing people that are there. There's somebody on that stage that's having a bad day. You just don't know it. Right. So, which makes something like, didn't Craig Morris, when he was playing principal in Chicago, didn't he do a week of um, Brandenburg and Lestoire in the same program? Three straight days. No way. <laughs> Is that right? We're, we're yeah. going to need to verify this. We're going to need some fact we can, checking. I have, we can I call have, Craig. We, call yeah. Craig. Text him right now. Yeah, let's call Craig. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard, what I heard was it was some of the most amazing trumpet playing people have ever heard. An amazing display of trumpet playing. Yeah. Sure. Those are pretty diverse <laughs> pieces. Those are right? wildly different I mean, pieces. It kind of covers That's a lot of ground. About yeah. as far away as you can get from two pieces of, of music. And... Um, he did that three days in a row, right? It no. must have been stunning. And what kind of mental space and practice space he had to get into to do that? Well, outrageous. you know, you'd mentioned The Thing, and we will, we've will we got to set aside an episode for The Thing, right? Yeah, Joey's, we Joey's yeah. We really do. Yeah. Because my recollection of that, and this is so telling, you know, when, so Brian and I go to, uh, to Bloomington and we spend the week following the ways of the master. And the intent was to, you know, learn how to do this routine in the morning and then in the afternoon we're going to play rep for each other. And I remember I was getting ready for my last recording. And I remember in the afternoons after playing all those notes and covering so much trumpet territory, I pulled all the rep out and it looked like the big note songbook to me. It didn't look stressful or difficult. It, so easy. it was the weirdest thing. That's but the concept. The concept of being so trumpet ready right so music ready that all this stuff is so far inside your wheelhouse that it's you know right. which mentally as brian was saying too you know that that puts you in a much more stable place to even if it doesn't feel really great that day you can still get around it yeah you need to be able to yeah. look at anything and think yeah i can do that right yeah. do you know yeah. do you know the story was it years ago i think it's a phil smith story it was a radio broadcast and i think he was playing quiet city uh, scheduled to play Quiet City, and we were all going to tune in and listen to things, but uh, word comes out like he's got a fever, he had the flu, there was something like, wasn't even sure it's going to happen, yet walks on stage and does it, and of course it is angelic, right? Like sparkling, yeah, that perfect. Guy's pretty good. Yeah. He's pretty good at the trumpet. <laughs> and pretty good at the music. Well, it pains to say, the cornet. Yeah, the thank cornet. you. There, yeah. Brian, I was setting you up. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's that too. Have you ever had to do that? Not, not, we're not talking about a bad trumpet day, but have you ever had to just show up and do the thing when you thought you couldn't? Sick. Yeah, I was in yeah. I was in Chicago uh, playing. It was a supper club. It was a weird gig. We it ran for about a year, three nights a week, um, but we did like a big show set and then a, like another like concert set and then a couple of dance things at the end of the night. And it was it was a it was a really fun kind of smaller big band thing. It was it was a lot. It was a, a lot a big show, and. I was teaching during the day at Northeastern Illinois University, so uh, I was their trumpet instructor for that year, and then I got something to eat, and then I started throwing up. <laughs> and I actually couldn't make the gig Friday night. It's, it's the only time I can actually remember, like calling subs and like literally I just can't. So I was throwing up for about 12 hours. So from about five in the evening till about five in the morning and just, ooh. Now the next day, Saturday, so I, they covered the Friday. I called everybody I knew and I called the band leader and I said, there's no, I can't. I can't move. I can't even, right. So, you know, when you have that, it seems like a food poisoning sort of thing. You know, when you have that, the last thing you want to do is eat. You know, so I'm really a little woozy and everything. So it's Saturday. I have not eaten since Friday at 5 o'clock, and I'm not right. You lost all that anyway. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. And, and right, and I'm not, <laughs> you know, not in the right, I'm not feeling good. But I thought, okay, listen, I, I got to, you know, I got to go do this. So I went there, and, and for me, you know, there's a, all those cheesy sports cliches we hear all the time, you know, well, one game at a time, blah, 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 blah. So I right. got up there, and I looked at the first piece of music and thought, I could play that. <laughs> you turn that over. Okay, I think I can play that. And yeah, that literally, which, that's what got me mentally through the whole night, was just was keeping that, that yeah, kind of mindset. 
ultimately maybe what you should be doing anyway, right? Well, right, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm in this moment. This is what I'm going to worry about right now, and then this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. But oh yeah, a couple the, years the, ago. The, a couple of years ago at the North American Brass Band Championships, we went out. You know, the, the band prepares for six months, you know, uh, to play. It's 30 other people counting on me. And by Thursday night for the bus trip out, I had the flu bad. Oh, um, man. And I was, yeah. I couldn't play. I couldn't, I couldn't walk. I mean, literally, I, I drove down to Delaware to catch the bus. And I sat in the back of the bus and slept the entire drive out to Fort Wayne. I spent the entire weekend uh, in bed. I didn't do the morning rehearsals before the contest. I somehow made it through both the test piece and the choice piece on the Friday night and the Saturday night. And uh, I slept the whole way back on the bus on the Sunday. I don't remember how the weekend went. It wasn't one of the years we won, but I played fine. But it was a horrendously bad experience. Mm. Mine wasn't a, a sickness thing, but I remember... Um, a semester at North Texas, we recorded um, the Lincolnshire Posey, right, recording, mm -hmm. which is one of my, my, you know, we all have our favorite things. Okay, I can say like, okay, I did that. That's me playing that cornet solo. And it's one of my, my favorite things I've ever done. I love the music. On trumpet. On trumpet, of course. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Had to get that but, in. <laughs> but I made it, I made it sound like a cornet. So anyway, um, so, but that was the week of my doctor qualifying exams <laughs> written. Six-hour history, six-hour theory, yeah. you know, trumpet test, all written, blue books. Do you remember the days? Anyway. You actually so, had to write. Yeah. yeah. So we had, writing. yeah, we had like the concert, like tests were like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The concert was like Thursday night, right? Something like that. And then we started recording on Friday. And yeah, my head was not where it needed to be for that Thursday night concert. <laughs> 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 and uh yeah get a couple things got away from me but the great thing was like i that was my chance that because we recorded starting the next day so i get into the recording i'm still like oh, i can't believe this and i'm kind of still shook and still scattered and i thought but it's okay because i'll have the first movement to get through right and then we'll probably take a break and then i'll get to the second movement and i'll be in this and mr corporon says uh i'm gonna start with uh, movement two <laughs> perfect there we are. But man, talking about all this, just quieting the noise and how much of that can lead to a bad day too, right? Like just trying to quiet the noise and push all that out and just do what you got to do in front of you. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've all encountered it. No doubt about it. But trust your training. Is that our big takeaway? Put yourself in a position to keep the constants constant and deal with the variables as they come at you. That's all we can do. That's it. Yeah. I like it. Well, listen, finally, we reached the portion of our program we like to call No Offense. And this is where we highlight something from the trumpet kingdom that is recognized, used, and touted, yet might not make so much sense to us. We feel it is our responsibility, know our duty to highlight such things, to raise awareness, inform the masses, and generally start trouble. Uh, so I'm going to tie this in, guys. Today, our topic is this. If you skip a day of practicing because it doesn't feel good, no offense, but you might want to rethink that strategy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know you were going here, but this is what I said earlier, right? If you're thinking, oh, this is a bad day, I'm just going to walk away. No, 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 no. This is your opportunity, you know, because oftentimes when things are feeling good, how much progress are you actually making or how much are you just kind of working through some stuff? It's when things aren't working is when you should be practicing. Right. This is what you got to dig into. And it sometimes is not fun. And it sometimes is the hardest, most grueling work you do, but can be the most productive. Now, here's what I do. I have a system. I keep my horns down here in the trumpet bunker where I'm recording here tonight. And I come down in the morning and I play a couple notes, right? If it doesn't feel right, I just say, bad day, can't practice today. <laughs> and then, then tomorrow, next day I come down, I pick up the trumpet and I play, it feels pretty good. And I say, hey, good day today. I don't need to practice. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, that, and that's my system. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, there it is. You know, I, you kind of hope for those things to come along. And I've told students this over the years who maybe come in and are having that bad day in a lesson. And I'm like, what a better place and time to have this happen. Right. This is 
this is why you want this to happen here. You don't want it to happen next Saturday or a month from now or in a concert. You want it to happen here. Let's talk about it. What's, what's going on? What are you encountering? Let's think about ways around it. And we've, we've had some fun with this um, just during this quarantine thing with this 100 days of practice. And, uh, right. and, and some of our colleagues, he's having to do 100 days of practice. And day 12, it's nothing posted. There's not doing no. anything. No practice felt, that day. It felt Tired. bad. Yeah, I'm, bad I'm not playing today. And well, and Joey said, well, they didn't specify 100 straight days. No practice. one said yeah. consecutive, Brian. No one said 100 days in a row. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing. You, whether it feels good or feels bad, you got to put it in the time every day. And we talked about this on another podcast about if a student takes time off on a Saturday mm. um, and they come back Sunday, but maybe the last note they played is 5 o'clock on Friday and then – the next note they play is five o'clock on Sunday. And they said, I took Saturday off. Like, no, mm. you took two days you off. You took two days um, off, yeah. And you, and you just can't afford, I can't, if you're going to make continuous progress, you really can't afford that. And so I, I'm really a, a strong advocate of practicing every single day. Yeah. Just putting in the time every day, whether or not it feels. And for me, these days, going through this pretty major embouchure adjustment, um, it always feels bad by the well, end of the day but the sure. morning is feeling pretty good these days oh that's good it'll, it'll obviously it's going to come yeah. around but the other part it, secondary secondarily there are people and this is a regular thing i've heard a lot throughout my career well when it's a concert day well then i can take it easy mm. and there's a huge flaw in that thinking too when you think about if you're going to be playing a lot of concerts so, like, I remember watching this, at my first experience at Disney is where I first watched this go down. Well, I'm playing 15 concerts a week over five days. So there are lots of times when we do rehearsals on those days that other people are like, right, so I'm just going to take it easy. And then they get to the day off and go, oh, well, I just need some time. And you get a little over halfway through that summer, and I'm watching brass players that can't play. They're barely making it through the week. <laughs> and then needing to take the time off for almost to heal and then trying to get through the weeks again. I'm like, no, no, no. So when, when I started teaching, and early on, one of my very first students ended up winning a Dis the job at Disney, and I warned her. I said, you're going to see this. And I said, make sure you do this. And she came back and said, oh, wow, that was really good advice. We got to the end, and boy, these people were like, well, I took those I take that day off, and I'm playing it easy because we're co playing concerts. Well, if you're playing concerts five days a week, so you're not practicing those days, and then you need to take time off because the concerts are so hard on the days off, that means you're never practicing. And then if you're never practicing, you're gradually getting worse That's and worse and worse. That's a downward spiral. And, There's it the will, spiral yeah. and it will catch up with you, and it will bite you in the butt at that point. Yeah. You think of a difference between playing and practicing? You think about this is kind of what you're saying, right? Playing the concert doesn't count as the kind of face time you need to build and sustain. Performance, performance time does not count as practice there time. There it is. Period. Yeah. Done. So whether so you're playing a concert or not, that, that might be time that the horn's on your face. But that's not practice time. So because been, on the stage, you should and will do anything you can to make that sound great. In the practice room, not so much. In the practice room, you hold yourself accountable to doing it the, the way you know is right. And that's a mm -hmm. big difference. Yeah. So if you've been calculating performance time as hours on the horn, no offense. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Well, consider if you wanted to be somebody who wanted to go play on Broadway, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Broadway works sure. six days a week. Yeah. So if you're not going to be practicing on days you have concerts, that's going to allow you one day a week to practice. That is not enough. That's not okay. You're not keeping that gig. There's no way you keep that gig. Yeah, no. It's not going to work for you. No. And if, you know, play, if you play touring shows, normally they run five days a week. You know, When things come in here, uh, you know, Wicked's come into Indianapolis several times, and that's coming here for three weeks at a time. So mm. they'll run eight shows a week for three weeks, you know, so that's five days a week. So should, those are 15 days in three weeks I shouldn't be practicing. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Or from the professional orchestral career. You know, if you think about those people that are playing concerts Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay, so those are days they shouldn't practice. They should only practice four days a week? I don't think so. Yeah, and if, and if you're doing that, it's no wonder you need the time off or you need to be careful because you're not building the chops away from the performances. It's not right. only that you're not building them, you're actually encouraging yourself to lose them. Right. And you could be developing bad habits on top of that. It can Because you're willing to do you whatever it takes be. to make it work in the moment. That's exactly right. Right, like yeah. Brian on a trombone gig. <laughs> That's right, whatever it takes. Any port in a storm. Bury the band. 
Yes. You're using your armbusher yes. to get through the, uh, yeah, to play as loud <laughs> as possible. He says it, but it always sounds great. That's he the always sounds great. That's the problem is he's going, hey, I'm totally but on my teeth. I'm, like, I'm on my teeth, Your teeth, teeth man. sound great. You've sa yeah. <laughs> I said, I wish my teeth resonated like that. No kidding. <laughs> Amazing. Well, listen, that about does it for today. Thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned, subscribe to whatever works for you, and please be sure to tell your friends about us. We appreciate your patronage, and so do our sponsors who have no idea what they've gotten themselves into. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell. <laughs>